I know that after eating a meal and sitting down at this time that it's so tempting to go to sleep, but I want to go ahead and warn you. It's fine to go to sleep, but I am not going to wake you up when we get finished. <laughs> if the invitation song doesn't wake you up, we will leave you and allow you to turn out the lights and lock the door after you wake up this afternoon. And so if you get that sound asleep, just make sure that you lock up when you get ready to leave. Now, we are glad that you're here. So thankful that you've chosen to be with us today. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 7, where we will be tonight. And as we begin our lesson, uh, I want us to think about marriage. And uh, as you can see, the title of our lesson tonight is going to be the Corinthian Marriage Manual. But as we think about that, if you could buy a book at the bookstore that would solve every marriage problem, would you go to the bookstore and buy that book? Now, there are all kinds of books, and this is a real book, Making Marriage Work for Dummies. And, of course, you see those books all the time. But if you could find one that would solve every marriage problem of every kind, would you buy that book? Well, let me just tell you tonight that I have found that book, and I have one in the pulpit with me tonight. I have several copies in my office, and you probably have one or more copies at home already as well. And that book is, of course, the Bible, the Word of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we look at and think about the Corinthian marriage manual. Now, we know that the Bible is used to solve all of life's problems. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, at verse number 3, there Peter writes these words. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Notice that first part there, that, that He has granted to us all things, number one, that pertain to life. The answer to life's questions are found in the Word of God. And so if we want to solve not just marriage problems, but if we want to solve any of our problems... The answer is to be found in the Word of God. It is there that we find at least principles that will help us work through whatever situation we find ourselves in. Our problem sometimes is simply that we have a hard time accepting the solutions to the problems that God gives us. We have to humble ourselves in order to be willing to do that. And so tonight, as we have already stated, we want to delve into the part of the Corinthian marriage manual that deals with separation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 10 and going through verse number 16. And so as we look at it, I want us to think about what Paul does in the first part of this particular passage. For you see, Paul instructs Christian husbands and wives. Now, I want you to think about what I said. Paul instructs Christian husbands and wives. What he's going to be discussing in verses 10 and 11 have to do with Christian husbands and wives. Now, they seem to have asked a question, and the question that we look at, and uh, notice in verse number 1 that they were asking questions. Now, concerning the things to which you wrote, one of the questions that they seem to have asked was this, is it permissible for Christians married to Christians to leave 
their spouse? Is it, is it God's will, is it within His realm for Christians who are married to Christians to, to break that marriage, to separate from each other? And of course, Paul makes it clear in verses 10 and 11 that that is not to be the case. He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. He goes on in verse number 11, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And then he says, the husband, and we're reading from the English Standard Version here, should not divorce his wife. Now let me just say right here at this point, that as much as I like the way that things are translated in the English Standard Version, there are no perfect translations. God's original was perfect, but there are no perfect translations. And I believe that the English Standard Version does us a disservice here when it translates in the latter part of verse number 11, um, talks about the husband not divorcing his wife. Uh, In the... American Standard Version, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse number 11, I want you to notice that it's translated differently at the bottom, translates by the words, leave not his wife, and in the King James Version, he uses the word, or it's translated in, put away his wife. Uh, The words that are here for separate in verse number 10, as well as uh, to put away or to leave, as it's translated in uh, these two passages, neither of those are the words, the Bible word for divorce. They're not the word that is used and translated for divorce. They're two separate, distinct words. The first one in verse number 10 where he talks about the husband and wife separating or as reading from the King James Version, departing from one another, uh, sort of reminds us of the, the, the Mexican or the Spanish sausage chorizo, uh, for that's the word itself. And it literally means to put away, to leave, uh, to, uh, to put uh, space in between is, is actually what it means. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, Paul says that he left Athens and went to Corinth. He left Athens. Same word that we have here, uh, the first part in verse number 10. Uh, the same is true in uh, the, the verse 2 of Acts chapter 18, where uh, we find that Claudius uh, had uh, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome to put space, to put distance between them. In Acts chapter 1, at verse number 4, the Bible talks about how Jesus had told His apostles not to depart from Jerusalem, but uh, to wait for the promise of the Father. That's the word that we have here that's translated, depart in the King James or separate in the English Standard Version. And so as we look at it, That is a word which literally means to place room between or to go away. But then at the end of verse number 11, where we have again, according to the King James Version, um, the word put away, which is translated by the word divorce in the English Standard, that word means simply to send forth or to leave. 
And it's used 129 times in the New Testament. And, and when you look at it, only one time, in the, even in the English Standard Version, out of those 129 times, only one time do they choose to translate it with divorce. And so that is not what Paul has in mind here. In many of the other places where the words are used, such as in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 11, the Bible says, Then the devil left him, that is, after he had tempted Jesus, the devil left him uh, for a time. Uh, did that mean that the devil divorced Jesus? No, he put, uh, uh, he separated himself, he, he left him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. Immediately they, talking about the apostles, the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, or Peter, James, and John, they left their nets. They didn't divorce their nets, they left them behind. And in the same chapter, verse 22, they left the boat. They didn't divorce the boat, they left the boat. And then in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 24, leave your gift before the altar. If, if you begin to worship God and you know that there's something that is uh, 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 amiss between you and a brother, leave your gift before the altar. He didn't say divorce your gift. He said leave it. And so that's what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse number 11. He's not talking about the legal term of divorce. He's talking about leaving. Now, having said all that, I want us to understand something. In Matthew chapter 19 at verse number 9, Jesus himself answers the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and remarry? Jesus answers that question. That's the word for divorce that is used there. But Paul is not talking about that here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, what Paul is answering, could, should Christians married to each other, basically should they stay married to each other, or should they put distance between, should they leave the, the marriage home itself? Now, Paul makes it clear that he expects there to be some separations, does he not? Look at, look at again what he says in verse number 11. If she depart. Paul is, is saying, you know, that I expect that there may be those cases when that happens. But if that is the case, if one... If a couple, Christian couple, does separate, what are they to do? Well, notice again in verse number 11, they have two options. Number one, he says, translated this way, remain unmarried. Now, not technically unmarried because they haven't had a legal divorce, but literally in a single state, as though you had not been married, or though you were not, you have to remain in that condition. That's, that's option number one. Or option number two, Paul says, be reconciled to that lawful companion. It doesn't say go back and remarry them, just be reconciled to them and resume the marriage that's already intact. 
And so that's, those are the two options that the Apostle Paul gives as he is talking to Christian mates. It, 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 do we need to separate? It, it, is it lawful for us to be married? You know, those are the questions that he's asking. And he says, no. There's no reason to do that. Marriage need not be dissolved. As a matter of fact, the Bible is pretty clear in teaching that marriage is to be indissoluble, isn't it? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse 39, same chapter, just on down a little bit later, Paul writes and says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Uh, that's pretty stringent, isn't it? And then if you go to Paul's writings in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, uh, he makes it clear that marriage is dissolved through death. Um, a person who has a spouse that has passed away it has a, an opportunity to be married to another. So marriage itself is intended to be indissoluble. Whenever a man and woman stand before a preacher or a judge or whatever it is, however it is they choose to, uh, to make those marriage vows, whenever they stand before that group and say, I do, they are bound to that companion as long as he or she lives. That's why we need to be careful when we're choosing our mate. That's why we need to, to make sure that it's one of the most thought about decisions that we ever make in our life. Christian husbands married to Christian wives. Jesus wants you to stay together. That's his point. That's Paul's point as he is, as he is talking about marriage and writing about questions that Christians are concerned with. And we do know that sometimes there are reasons for separation, sometimes Christian sin. Maybe there's abuse or maybe there's neglect of responsibilities. Maybe, maybe the old guy that you married is sorry and he won't take care of the family. There are times when, when separations are warranted. But, again, as Paul writes here, if those separations occur then you still have two options. To remain unmarried, as though you're single, or to be reconciled to the mate. And so Paul writes then to the Christians, Christian husbands and wives. But then the Apostle Paul instructs Christians married to non-Christians. Evidently there were some other questions that they raised and that Paul needed to answer in his writing to them that he answers here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And so in verses 12 through 16, we have these answers that are given. Beginning in verse 12, Paul writes and says, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Again, that's the, uh, not the, the technical word, the biblical word for divorce. It's the same one as previous. If any man, woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. When we look at that and we think about it, one of the first things probably that, 
jumps out in our mind is what is said at the beginning of verse number 12. To the rest, I say, not I, or I rather, not the Lord. Well, Paul, are, are, are you just telling us that you're giving us your opinion, your thought on the matter? And the answer to that, well, let me just say it this way, can't be that Paul is just giving his opinion. It just doesn't harmonize with what he writes. For in the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, verse 37, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he must acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul's not saying here in... Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 7, he's not saying, I'm just giving you my opinion. But it seems that what Paul is saying is that he is addressing a matter that the Lord did not specifically address while he was on the earth in his personal ministry. Jesus did not address every matter. You remember on the night before his crucifixion, as his apostles were gathered in that upper room, in John chapter 16, he tells them, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but the point is that he says, you're not able to bear them right now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter has come, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. The apostles or the people who were alive during Jesus' time while he was on the earth did not hear everything that he had to say. It wasn't until the apostles were endowed with the Holy Spirit that the complete revelation of God's word was made. And so Paul saying here that I, not the Lord, when, when he's speaking... He's not saying that the command or what he's writing is not from God. He's just saying Jesus didn't address it while he was on the earth. And so, what is the question again? They seem to have asked the question this time, should Christians married to non-Christians leave them? Should Christians married to non-Christians leave? Should they, should they part company in their marriage? And again, the answer is... No, it's not to be that way. That's not what God uh, says. It's not what God wants. You see, God recognizes the marriage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. In that passage, notice that Paul makes an argument. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise... Your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Again, if you're reading from the King James Version, the language is a little more explicit, if you will. But here, the point that he makes is this. God recognizes the marriage. That's the point that he makes. When, a, when an unbeliever is married to a believer, a non-Christian is married to a Christian, 
God recognizes that relationship as a marriage. Now Paul's argument that the unbeliever is sanctified by the believer points to the fact that God is recognizing that marriage. The children being legitimate, if you will, points to that fact. And so Paul affirms that the children are holy, that the children are legitimate. Now, I want us to note one thing here. We should not conclude that Paul in any way endorses or encourages Christians marrying non-Christians. That's not his point. He's addressing a situation, it seems, in Corinth where one spouse had most likely been converted to Christianity after the marriage had taken place, after they already were married to each other. You know, sometimes people get all bent out of shape when a person marries another person of a different race. Anybody ever known of somebody getting bent out of shape because someone dated or married someone of another race? In the Old Testament, whenever God forbid intermarriage, it was always to preserve holiness. We need to remember that. They were not to be drawn away from Him by the heathen pagans of the day. If you have your Bible, look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Look beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. Now, if you go back and you trace the women, or the, the, the nations, you'll find that those are nations that God had forbidden the Israelites to intermarry with. But he says Solomon did that. He said specifically in verse number 2, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into the marriage with them, neither shall they with you. Why? Well, here's where you might want to underline in your Bible. For surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. He goes on, Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You know, it's hard for us to imagine that Solomon would have turned away from God. You remember back when Solomon was a young man and he's having a conversation with God. And God literally asked Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? What can I do for you? Ask me and I'll do whatever you, whatever you ask. 
And Solomon said, I, I, I'm the king. I need wisdom. And you remember the story, don't you? God basically said, Solomon, you chose well. And because you didn't ask for riches to enrich yourself, I'm going to give you wisdom and riches. Never anyone like Solomon before in wisdom. And we've got some awfully rich people, but I don't think they even match up still today to what Solomon had. Because God endowed him with those two things. And yet when he was old, the Bible says his heart was turned away from God to those pagan gods. And who did it? Who did he allow to do that? We're not left to guess. By inspiration, it was the wives that he had married from all of these foreign countries who had their own foreign deities. You see, those relationships that Solomon had with those women that he, according to the Word of God, Loved, verse number 1, 1 Kings 11. With those women that he loved, he allowed them to be more important to him than his God. That's exactly what God forbid. And he did it anyway. So the parallel today is not between races because many of those nations that he forbid them to intermarry with they had the same exact ancestors. Same exact ones. But the parallel is truly between the Christian and the non-Christian. So if we want to get bent out of shape about something, we ought to be getting bent out of shape about religiously mixed marriages. But if one is married to another, one who is a Christian is married to someone who is not, Paul says, don't break up the marriage. But the point I want to make is this. He doesn't encourage those kinds of marriages to begin with. We can avoid a lot of problems even ask, having to ask this question by making sure that we only date and marry those who are Christians. Another question seems to have been, what if an unbeliever is not content to dwell with the believer? Well, that's verses 15 and 16. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul seems to be saying... If the unbeliever, one who does, is not a Christian, just can't tolerate the marriage, is not content to dwell, then let him go. Now what, why? Paul says that a Christian is not enslaved. Not enslaved. What do you mean by that? A Christian is not so bound to a non-Christian that he's obligated or she's obligated to renounce Christianity in order to maintain the marriage relationship. 
Now let me hasten to say before we move on here that Paul in no way indicates that it frees the person to remarry. Again, that's not under consideration in this passage. But the bond between a Christian and Christ is to be the greatest bond of all, is it not? What did Jesus say when he was on the earth? Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The bond between a person and Christ is to be the strongest one. Again, in uh, Matthew chapter 10 at verse 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, the relationship between the Christian and Christ is to be what's strong. The Bible says God has called us to peace. He wants us to have the peace on earth. But to try to maintain a marriage bond with an unbeliever who opposes such can only bring the opposite of peace. The only alternative then that Paul raises here is to accept the decision. We're not to be the cause of useless turmoil. One other argument that Paul makes is this. Husbands and wives, you don't know whether you are able, going to be able to convert an unbelieving spouse. Somebody says, well, if I, if I let him go, then I'll lose all hope of converting him to Christ. Paul says the possibility of conversion is too uncertain to maintain the marriage relationship. If you read that from the New American Standard Bible, the Bible says, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Brother Hugo McCord translated it in this way, Who knows, wife, if you will save your husband? Who knows, husband, if you will save your wife? His point is not, well, maybe you can, because in the context he's saying that a Christian is not bound so much that he would give up his or her Christianity to maintain the marriage. And his argument says you can't base that on a, well, I hope I'll convert him one day. Or I hope I'll convert her one day. How many times have you... I know I've heard a lot. Many times have you heard a young lady or a young man make this statement? Well, I'll convert him or I'll convert her after we're married. Paul seems to say this is not a real smart way. It's foolish because it's too uncertain. 
You know, some things that the Bible has to say in regard to marriage are hard. They're hard. And this section that we've covered tonight, first part, yes, if you're a Christian and you're married to a Christian, don't break that marriage up. Don't separate. If you're a Christian married to an unchristian, you try to keep the marriage together. But if the unbeliever is not willing, then you're not obligated to make sure that the marriage stays together. Just understand some things. Which brings us to the last point, or last points that we want to make, some of the conclusions we want to draw. Christians married to each other should stay together. Number two, if married persons separate, they must remain single or be reconciled to, lawful compa- to their lawful companion. And again, Jesus discusses divorce for the cause of fornication back in Matthew chapter 19. That's not what Paul has under consideration here. Next, people in mixed marriage should remain together. That's what Paul says. And if an unbeliever does not wish to dwell with a believing companion and departs on his own, the believer should let him go. And then finally, again, desertion by the unbeliever does not give the right of remarriage to the Christian. Again, I say that sometimes the things that the Bible teaches us are hard. They're hard. Not just about marriage, but about other areas of life. But if we could find a book that would help us to solve all problems of life, including marriage problems, would we buy it? But even more so, would we listen to what it says? It may be tonight that you're here and you're not a Christian. We want you to be one. The Lord wants you to be one. Jesus Himself came down from heaven and died for you so that you can be one of His children.